Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, yeah. what are you smiling about? Just, I always like the way you say hello. Why? It, it never, I, I sit here, I, won't, I don't look at you because I don't want to see it coming. <laughs> and then it always, oh, there we are. Yeah, well, the show has it, begun. It's a little like jump start for the show, for me. Just hear, like, hearing you just sort of bellow, hello. I like to start it off with a bang. I like hello. To get me- <laughs> <laughs> um, All right. So, uh, anyway, you're supposed to ask me how I'm doing. How you doing, David? I'm feeling triumphant. Triumphant? Because this is our triumphant return after a week off. Hmm. Yeah, why is it triumphant? Uh, I don't know. Why is it Because we've been reviewed very favorably on two different podcasts that review podcasts. Yes. So... We got a good review from a podcast that gave bad reviews to podcasts I like, which makes me feel bad. Yeah. It makes me feel like... Well, clearly we're better shows than they are. Right. I mean, no, I knew that going in. Yeah. There's no question. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, should I guess we should plug these other shows. What do you think? Uh, sure, yeah. I mean, they were nice to us. All right. Uh, so you can hear uh, a review of us on uh, uh, Edgy Podcast Reviews. You can find them in iTunes. You can find... And then we were also favorably reviewed on uh, First Time Caller. Uh, and so... Yes, thank you to them for being very nice to us. It yeah. was it was nice. So yeah, thanks. Um, let's see what else. Um, oh, bad news, everybody! <laughs> uh, we were not among the nominees for best movie podcast um, in in the podcast awards. In the podcast awards, yes. So yeah, you can't win them all. I was surprised at the list. I mean, there are some people like obviously film spotting's on there. Yeah, I love uh, movies. Is on I love there. movies. Popcorn Mafia. These yeah. are cool. And then there was, I mean, there are a lot. That I've either never listened to, like The Signal, or yeah. like there was something I haven't heard of. <laughs> yeah, it's, and I was uh, surprised that our friends the, the slash film cast weren't nominated. Right. I mean, there there are some there were some that I had heard uh, that I had heard about. But I don't want to sound like I'm denigrating The Signal by saying I've never listened to it. I've just never listened to it. I don't right. Know. Yeah. 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 Um, and I will say that uh, yeah, we we weren't nominated. It bummed me out. I really wanted to be, um, but the. As far as I can tell, the podcast awards they ha- there's an interesting because there's a the, they're the People's Choice podcast uh-huh. awards like that adds an interesting element where to a degree it's really who can mobilize their listeners uh, the most. Uh, so you will actually find there's been uh, like the awards have come under uh, criticism uh, the last couple of years because um, I think two years ago uh, the like uh, most of the most of the uh, nominees were not, and I think almost all of the winners were not among like the iTunes top hundred. Like clearly, they weren't consi- they weren't really like the best, or the mo- or even the most popular, or even the most popular. It was just who can get them going the most. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and so um, there needs to be some sort of campaign reform. Yeah, uh, here in <laughs> podcast rewards. Well, or, the podcast <laughs> rewards. rewards. Yeah. 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 Um, um, yeah, well, and for, from what I because I, our, I actually, our friends over at over at Never Not Funny weren't even nominated for I know. the comedy, nor which was is really uh, weird. Mike Schmidt, which I kind of expected. I yeah. know that he he you know is able to get his listeners going, but I'm not sure how much effort he put into it. Um, yeah, uh, but because I actually did some research uh, into this, um, uh, I discovered that as far as the nominations go, the nominations are a little pu- uh, a little more pure because like only a certain percentage has to do with the number of times submitted and then the rest is do you fit certain criteria and and that sort of thing. So okay. uh so clearly we didn't. No. And uh <laughs> sorry. But uh but David, yeah. I, I've got some good news for you as well. Okay. <laughs> Bad news. For- 
<laughs> what are you laughing about? I'm sorry. I'm laughing at my stupid cat. I'm just ignoring it. Okay, I can't ignore it. I, <laughs> I've, I've been out of town and away from him for a while. Right. So, uh, so all all the adorable things that he does. Now, how come? Okay, you didn't ask me to look after your cat while you were out of town because in past in past occasions you've asked me to come by and look after the cat because Jen was here. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, so it was just me that I was out of town. Okay, I didn't. So I haven't been fired. Uh, no, no, <laughs> but, uh, well, we'll talk about it off the show, but, um, yeah, but uh, David, I got some good news for you, but, uh, you know, be- now, now you actually have me worried. What? <laughs> now you actually have me worried. Um, it's, we'll talk about it off the show. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> it's, it's perfectly fine, David. It has nothing to do with you. Um, what the hell? <laughs> we want somebody who can literally stay in our apartment so that Charlie isn't so freaked out and left alone for days at a time. Who are you going to find who's going to stay in your apartment? Ghostbusters. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, um, you, just, you phrased it in a way that it's like, well, that's what I have to answer. Um, the, who are you going to find? Sorry. Anyway. No, I get it. But, but, uh, but no, I have, I have friends that, that will do that. I have a friend who uh, stay, lives with three other guys, and right. he has the opportunity to stay by himself for a week. He'll do it. Okay. I can see that. But, yeah. I mean, it's, it's just a cat. It's not... It's a cat who's... It's not a dog. It doesn't need to be taken this, out. You know why I said we can talk about it when the show, <laughs> off the show? So that people don't have to listen to this. This is fascinating conversation. Is it? Yes. All right. Well, then I'll explain. Uh, no, my, you've already explained. I haven't explained about oh, okay. my, cat's, my cat's attitude. He, oh, uh, yeah. He, I think he has abandonment issues because of his previous owner. And uh, I think he's been kicked around a lot in life. And so we want to try and... Uh, well, I know... Ask, but when I was when I would come over and feed the cat, I would literally kick him around. Hmm. You know what? Now you are fired. I don't like that at all. I, mean, <laughs> I was just trying to treat him in the manner to which he's become accustomed. Well, if anyone's going to kick him around, I'd like it to be me. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, what were we, what were we saying? Oh yeah, I was about to I was about to plug this other thing. Um, good news, everybody. My other podcast, More Than One Lesson, f- somehow uh, managed to be nominated in the religion. Uh, inspiration category of the podcast awards. So head on over there and help me out because I don't think I'm going to win. Um, because when it comes to the voting, it's completely about how many people you can get voting. Right. And I don't have a lot of listeners. So uh, I think I'm just going to have to be happy to be nominated in this in this case. But uh, but yeah, it was very that that was very exciting. Um, but uh, frankly, I I would have preferred it be us, David. You know. Oh. That's so nice. maybe uh, bring your A game. Because you know, I think I think you're the problem. Well, this episode's going to clinch it for next year. This this two part that we're doing. Really? Because uh, I think the first seven minutes might actually. I think people will have turned it off. <laughs> um, we're doing uh, just like everybody else <laughs> yeah. is doing. Uh, we're going to do our our uh, our top ten of the decade. That's our, right. And it's it, two separate top tens, mine and yours. It's the same yeah. way we do the end of the year. Yeah. Uh, shows. Um, which we do in March. <laughs> yeah, but, well... Well, we try to tie them to the Oscars. Yeah, so. well, we don't have uh, screeners sent to us. Yeah. We have to actually pay and see these movies. Um, and, uh, and yeah, these are not sort of like objective lists of what we think the most important or best, you know, films are. It's just mm-hmm. what we thought were... The, we personally thought were the best films that we've seen in the last 10 years. Wait, it's what we personally thought were the best or our personal favorites? <sighs> I got two different lists here. If in case you know, okay, you know, I, I, I don't know. Whichever one you want to do at this point, I have no idea. Oh hell! 
well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I I didn't put uh, you know, Anchorman on mine. Oh, okay. <laughs> or anything, right. even though that's probably one I've watched more than other movies. Oh, but uh, damn it, David. Best and favorite are my lists are very different. All right, why don't you do your best list then? Okay. Okay. All right. Is that the more scholarly one? Maybe. Okay. Um, do whichever one is going to make you look better. That's what you should do. All right then. Well, no. <laughs> okay. You you, be, you start talking. But uh, quickly before we get to that, I want to I want to talk about the. Uh, I know we're not a TV podcast. That's right. But we occasionally talk about TV. You can go over to uh, the Paul Goebel show, which isn't really a TV podcast anymore, but that's <laughs> fine. Um, I want to talk about the Onion AV Club's list of the top 30 TV shows of the past decade. Right. Um, which you said you saw? You looked at? Yes. Uh, now, I love the Onion AV Club. I yeah. think they're usually right on. And the thing with the top 30 list is it's more or less the same as my top 30 would be. Right. But the order is ludicrous. The order is, okay. It's insane. All right. Is it a specific order? I mean, is it, uh, or is it just a list? I imagine, I mean, they're numbered, so I guess they were ordered. I suppose. Uh, but, and the wires at number one, yeah. which sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, I guess. But putting, like, I mean, they've got, they've got curb your goddamn enthusiasm above, like, you know, Buffy and the West Wing. Yeah. And, you know what? That's the, if I was making a top thirty, I don't even think top, Curb Your Enthusiasm would make the list. I'd put King of the Hill on that list before I'd put Curb Your Enthusiasm. Have you explained on the show what bothers you about Curb Your Enthusiasm these days? It didn't start out like. Although this. You, I will you say this, like it. I've watched a few episodes of the seventh season, and it's pretty good. Okay, good. <laughs> it's not great. Yeah, the first episode is crap. Okay. Um, it, it, what what bothers me is that it. Uh, it's it's completely lost any touch with reality. Not that it ever really took place in reality, reality, right. but it was an over exaggerated version of things that actually happened. You know, okay. things that would actually bother a person as neurotic as Larry David. You yeah. know, but now it, you've got uh, people just going from zero to screaming at Larry David in two seconds okay. over trivial things uh, to where to the point where they're the crazy ones and not Larry. Yeah. You know, and that's not what the show was supposed to be. He was supposed to be overthinking things that a normal person wouldn't overthink right. and overreacting to them. And, and questioning social norms. Yeah. Yeah. And now they're making up social norms. Okay. You know. Such as I think you gave me an example the other day and I Well, from the from the first episode of this season, right. was it the whole thing about how like uh, you, you. I, mean, I guess it was about you can't just go into a person's fridge and grab something to drink okay. or whatever. It's it's ridiculous. It's not. Or you. No. Here's the one that bothered me. Okay. You can't. If you're invited to a dinner party, apparently you can't ask who else is invited. Can't ask who. Can't ask the person who invited you. Okay. That's insane. That would cause more problems than anything else if you really couldn't do that. I think. It, yeah. I think it all depends on the uh, the tone in which you ask. You know. If you just if the person's uh, let's we'll, we'll we'll role play David. David, invite me to a party. Hey, I'm having a I'm having a dinner party in my studio apartment. We're gonna sit uh, cross legged around the coffee table. Uh, who else is gonna be there? Uh, See, that's not a good way to ask. Okay, but okay, do it again. Okay, so we're gonna I'm gonna have a, a, a dinner party. We're gonna you know order pizza and eat it in my car. Ah, who else is coming? <laughs> See, See, there you go. It's all about. The what if the answer is everyone you hate, everyone of my friends that you don't like? But that's the whole reason you should be able to ask, right? Absolutely. Is, like if you're going to invite me to a dinner party and say you're also inviting, I don't know, uh, I, I like all your friends, but say you had yeah. a friend I didn't like, I yeah. would want to know if that person was coming. Yeah. It's... Anyway, 
We are way off topic. Sorry. Okay. Anyways, yes, current uh, enthusiasm. Yeah, should uh, not be on the list. Is what yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm pretty much done talking about it. But I mean, it, it's the 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 order is really crazy and it's stuff like, um, I don't know stuff that, like the American Office, which is not nearly as good as it once was, and it doesn't seem like they take that into effect. But something that something that was good but got canceled early is given too much credit because who knows if that show would have stayed good right who knows right. who knows what would have become a freaks and geeks or firefly you know yeah yeah uh and then they completely dismissed like procedurals there's no csi there's yeah. not even a boomtown which i think boomtown oh, yeah. should have been on that list but anyway that's beside the point yeah we're talking about movies here yeah uh, now j- real quick you know what what uh, show was included on the list uh 30 rock uh-huh and the most recent episode of that featured a, a an hilarious performance by friend of the show, Josh Fadum. It was great. We recommend everybody go and watch it. I think the episode is called The Problem Solvers. It's on it's on Hulu. Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh well well done, Josh. Good stuff. It was awesome. So um yeah, but uh anyway, speaking of a top thirty, I started my top ten list of the decade with a top thirty. And, yeah, mine and, is twenty and I and I whittled it down from there. I think I actually had thirty one. Uh, but so now I, I've, what I've got here is I've got 10 movies and five honorable mentions, which are also movies, but you know what I mean? I also have five honorable mentions. Cause I think once you get down to 15, you're like, come on, damn it. Yeah. So we have to, that's, that's the beauty of honorable mention. So, um, I want to mention a couple things before we actually leap into the list. I was, when we did our, uh, listener generated top 100, right. some of the things that bothered you was a, the relative lack of animation, and the and lack and the lack of documentary, yeah. and I'm glad to I'm, I'm happy to report that in my in my top ten I have I have one of each, and I didn't even tr- try to do it that way. I have uh, I have one animated, and I've got top another 10. documentary in the honorable mentions. I have a documentary in honorable mention and an animated film in honorable mentions. So I'm I'm very excited, um, and it's yeah it's man when you narrow it down to ten like I think. The, Part of me was like, well, why did The Onion pick 30? Oh, right, because 10 would be – you'd want to shoot yourself by the end because, like, yeah. well, i got to choose this over that. And I remember telling you, like, a week or two ago, I was like, all right, I've got four that are a lock. Okay. I'll tell you that one of those didn't even make the top 15 once oh, wow. I actually started looking at stuff. Yeah. But um, did you notice any trends in putting together your list? Yes, I did. About the, top ten, about the last 10 years? I did. Well, what would you like to say about that? Uh, I noticed, and you will notice, that a lot of uh, – because as I was going through, because I was trying to be objective, um, because we're going from my list of what I th- what I think the best are, not necessarily my favorites. But one thing that I noticed is a lot of them are very much a product of their time and are a response to uh, political climate, um, emotional, uh, like um, movies that are that incorporate the emotions of um, of the the world and certainly the the country. <clears throat> Um, you know, and I'd say a lot of them have to do not necessarily directly with nine eleven, but um, but have to do with a lot of what happened after that, either directly or indirectly. Um, huh. And that was something that I noticed um, only after a while. And I thought, like, oh, geez, there's like three of these things that have to do with this. Um, but uh, yeah, that was the that was the main trend that I noticed, and of course. Uh, uh, most of these are in English. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> well, I, my trend was actually the opposite of, of your last thing there. I, I noticed 
uh, I, I was thinking of trends in, in terms of like of of countries. You know, mm. like when I when I had my top thirty, Romania was quite a presence. Okay, you know, um, and in my top of these fifteen that I have here, six are from Asia, and three of those are from South Korea. Crime in Italy. You know, and, and I think I want. I just want to talk for a second about South Korea and okay. just what am, amazing stuff they've been turning out over the past decade. I don't want to like say any of them because most of them are on my list. Okay, then. but you know. Uh, just uh, directors like uh, I, I I can't pronounce any of the names, but like Kim Ki Duk and uh, Chen Wook Park, and okay. uh, what's the guy who made uh, the host in Memories of Murder? Uh, Bong. Oh uh, shoot! Something like that. You, who, look who you're asking. Yeah, I. But um, it it really just struck me. I it's something that I had thought about. I guess tangentially over the last ten years, mm-hmm. noticing that I was seeing a lot of South Korean films. Yeah. Uh, but um, really, in putting together this list, it really blew me away. Just the 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 amount of output that they've had. Damn it! <laughs> I completely forgot a movie that I think I probably would have included. So we'll I'll say it right now. Hero. Hero. Oh yeah, no, I know. I didn't I w- put Hero on mine. I would have thrown it on. Uh, it probably would have made it to honorable mention, but. Uh, yeah, that's that's I think is is really one of the best, maybe not in the top ten, but one of the best movies of the last ten years, I think. Um, so with, with with that out of the way, what do you say we we leap in? With I mean, that's a good in, intro into our uh, our honorable mentions. Okay, then why don't you uh, here? I'll do my five. Okay, and we'll talk if we you know uh, if there's anything to say. Okay, uh, the aforementioned the host is in my t- my five honorable mentions. Okay. It's probably the it, it, I guess it's one of the most. It's probably the most commercial film on my list because oh, it's a. I mean, but I mean, it's a. Yeah. It's a. It's a monster movie. You know, yeah, it's a, yeah. It's heavy on the CGI. It's 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 a very sort of modern blockbuster type of movie. You yeah. know, and I'm not sure how well it did here. Fair, oh, okay. Yeah, but, I found an audience. I think. Um, but it's it's the it's the, probably the the it's not the highest grossing on my list. Uh, I, don't, didn't mean, I didn't mean that, but right. it, it is the most sort of like big movie-ish thing on my list. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad I put. I don't want to act like I'm discounting those type of movies because I like big movies like that when they're done well, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that's a brilliant film that I could watch over and over again. Yeah, I saw I saw it with you the first time. That's right. And I saw it again in the theater. I bought it and watched it a few times. It's a. And I remember when we saw it. There are there are moments in that film that I am I'm very convinced are meant to be laughed at. Oh yeah, Moments and if you of see extreme emotion, which is what's interesting, yeah. and you and I just couldn't stop laughing, but I felt weird about the fact that I was laughing as all these people were crying and mourning the loss of a family member. Yeah, but well, if you you have to, you've got to see Memories of Murder, which is the film okay. he made before this. All right, um, you'd love it. Okay, it's uh, I mean, it's it's more or less a, a detective story. You know, right. it's uh, and it's based on a true story about a, a South Korean serial killer. And the detectives who were trying to find him, uh, hmm. but it has that same thing where it's—I mean—that's a pretty heavy subject matter. It's a true yeah. story. Yeah, it's about a serial killer, <laughs> and there are hilarious moments in it, <laughs> and and just like uh, outbursts of violence that are both awesomely staged and truly violent, yeah. and really really funny. Hmm. Uh, but anyway, that's the host. Um, another South Korean film, Old Boy, is on my honorable mentions. Which I still haven't which seen. You'd love. Here's another film that I. No, you still haven't seen, even though I've been telling you for more than a year to see it, and that's in the mood for love. You've been telling me in the form of uh, you lent me a movie well over a year ago, yeah, and I it's just been it. sitting it's right over, over there. there. Yeah, asshole. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> um, uh, All the real girls is one of my honorable okay. mentions. I, 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 I tried to avoid, and I did actually avoid putting any director on here more than once. Mm. You know. Um, 
There, there's there's one who almost got on here more than once. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll talk about it when we get to it uh, in the next episode. We're splitting this up over two episodes. We yeah. won't get to that until the next one, unless it's on your top. Uh, whatever. Anyway, but um, uh, and all the real girls. I I, I mean I know. I, I we talked about this as sort of a personal best, and this is I know George Washington is probably a better film than all the real girls. Yeah, but. I like all the real girls so much, yeah. You know, and that's why I put and and, and I, I think I would be remiss if we went did this whole thing without mentioning David Gordon Green because he's yeah. a guy who is, you know, had a great decade. Yeah, very uh, much. So. You know, uh, so that's why all the real girls. And then finally, my 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 fifth honorable mention is another film that you and I saw together, although I had already seen it, and that's Los Angeles Plays Itself. Oh yeah, uh, which is a film that you cannot find on DVD anywhere. Yeah. Uh, you have to hope that some sort of repertory cinema or art house, you know, is, is doing a, a screening of it, Yeah, you know, because, uh, that's the only way you'll see it. There's, there's, there's rights issues with the film clips that are used. It can only yeah. be used in sort of a festival type setting, yeah. you know, and, and not, uh, and not on DVD, but it's, um, it's a perfect movie for people like us, you know, because it's, absolutely, it's just a, it's, it's an essay, you know, yeah. it's a, it's a three hour long essay about a, about a city. Yeah. Uh, and the way it's portrayed in a specific city in the way it's portrayed in, in, in film. And what's amazing is that you could, you could do that for almost any city. You could do it. I mean, any major American city or, yeah. uh, you know, foreign, it doesn't matter. Like you could do Paris plays itself. Chicago plays. It's, I mean, just, there are some cities that, you know, I, I find myself wondering, like, how much of my um, impression of certain places is completely, completely informed by movies. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, when I when I finally went to Chicago, it was you know I, I went there looking at the at the college and um, Columbia College, Chicago. That's where we went. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's an old burn. Yeah. Um, and so the. And I remember at the time, all I had was the Untouchables and the Blues Brothers. Like, that's all I had to go on. <laughs> and so I thought, like, this is a great jazz town, but be careful. You know? And so... <laughs> so uh, well, yeah, I remember, like, well, I, I went to New York for the first time earlier this year. Yeah. And just walking around and be like, okay, so this is the Woody Allen part of New York. And yeah. this over here is the Larry Clark part of New York. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't go into the Spike Lee part of New York, David. Um, that's, 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 that's a racial joke. Yeah. Um, Okay, so my honorable mentions. All right, here we go. Um, the Fog of War is one okay. that I just uh, I, I kind of I w- like wanted to really put it in the top ten, but I couldn't. Uh, I, I really think it's just one of the most uh, amazing concepts for a documentary. Nothing, nothing really that uh, amazing, but just to to go with somebody completely in in their own words. Um, years later after they've had a chance to reflect on the events that basically defined them as a person uh that idea is amazing to me and then to pick such a polarizing figure yeah. as Robert McNamara um and the the execution of it because it's ultimately it's one guy sitting and talking that's all it is uh-huh. and it's it never seems boring because but there, there of, are film clips and stuff there, right it, yeah. right but i mean it you know at its core, that's what it is. And his uh, Errol Morris's uh, choice to incorporate film clips to you know have those uh, delightful swirling pictures. There's a name for it, but uh, and just really makes all the things that Robert. Ma- you know, I didn't I didn't live during the Vietnam era. Uh-huh. 
but it really makes that era come to life through the words and recollections of this man. Like well, it's just what it's I a love good about concept it, beautifully executed. I love that it's a, it's both it's a political and historical documentary, yeah. but it's also very much about a person. It, yes, you know, you yeah. learn a lot about Robert McNamara. Yeah, you know, it's not a it's not a documentary about the Vietnam War, and it's not a documentary about Robert McNamara's life. Right, it's somewhere in between. Yeah, uh, and it can be, and that that idea can be summed up in something that he himself says, where he says, "I lived the Cold War," which is literally. The two can't be separated, uh-huh. you know, because his life was this era and that era was his life. He shaped so much of it himself. Um, OK, moving on. I'm yeah, we got to motor through these. Yeah. Uh, no Country for Old Men. OK. I don't made my top 30, but OK. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to need to say anything about this. I'm going to move on. <laughs> OK. Um, here's a movie that I did. As you know, I'm not a big fan of, uh-huh. but I think it's it's one that is really well executed and one that I think will stand the test of time. Uh, Mulholland Drive. No, that did make the larger list. But okay. no, this is Children of Men. Oh, yeah, I was um, surprised. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah. Because I know you didn't love it. Yeah, but and I... it didn't even make my top 30. I, yeah, in, in talking to uh, to a uh, friend of the show, Jason Eakin, and and, uh, and other friend of the show who's never shown up but his, was nice enough to write some stuff for our uh, top 100, Josh Long, uh, I realized I need to watch it again. The, the circumstances under which I watched it, uh, we're not the best. I watched it on a 19-inch TV screen. I have a larger television now, and I think it's a movie that I, I really wish I had seen in the theaters. Um, but yeah, it's just a it, it's it's just such a it's a director with such a strong sense of control, uh-huh. and just and he's very ambitious. Certainly, um, next one is a movie that, as you know, I love, but I I couldn't put it in the top ten. Is Traffic? Uh, also, um, my top thirty didn't make the cut. Oh man. And so, um, but that was another thing. I felt like this is a decade when Steven Soderbergh has come into his own. I mean, he made yeah. great films in the nineties, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, wonderful films. But uh, this is when he really exploded, you know. Yeah. And I and I and I feel bad that there's not any Soderbergh on my list. Yeah, but that was the one that I that I would pick. Oh, absolutely. It's just you know, I I was it was my favorite movie of that year, and it's one of my favorite movies. Um, it's. Looking, if if I were to go for my favorite list, it's my second favorite movie of the last ten years. But, um, but yeah, it's it's just again like one thing that I've that I've noticed that I tried to think about objectively is what is the concept? How well was it executed, uh, both technically and uh, like creatively? You uh-huh. know, and and I think that he's he's a guy who even when he makes films. That are just about you know that are just about characters, um, and they could have been done in a very straightforward way. Traffic is the best example that it's just it's wonderfully edited. It's it just flows really well, but just his use of color and stuff. It's just it's it's a really uh, it's just a fully realized uh, film. And then um, and then my last honorable honorable mention is uh, Spirited Away, uh, okay. which is an animated well, film that I love. But we'll talk about Spirit Away later. Oh boy! Oh boy! Okay. Um, it's a little teaser. All right, let's let's leave it. Let's get into it, shall we? Right. I'm excited. Are okay. you excited? I'm I am excited. I'm also, as I was saying before before the show, I feel a little judged by you. By me? Yeah, because uh, I have so many uh, uh, so many English language films on here, yeah. and I and you know I, I'm as you know, David. I'm I'm. I'm uh, middle right in my in my politics, and and I love America, and I love the English uh-huh. language. By the uh, way, I'm middle left, th- but I love America too. The, your two things aren't necessarily tied together. Yeah, but I think if we look at the list, I, I think I think <laughs> it's clear that you have nothing but contempt for the country <laughs> okay, okay. and its cinema. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not judging you. I will say that 
I understand that you that the that your your the themes that are of interest to you tend to be more Western, uh, very and much so, yes. particularly more American, yeah. and that's that's fine. Yeah, I do think you should seek out more foreign films because oh, yeah. there are plenty like in the mood for love that I know you'll love. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there are some like stuff that's going to be on my list that uh, you probably wouldn't like all that much. Yeah, you know. or you probably maybe you think you wouldn't, and who knows? Maybe maybe, maybe you didn't. Maybe I like will. You. Uh, it's your, but, it's uh, up to you to convince me. But we're not. We're, let's hold off. Uh, well, no, I guess we are starting with a foreign film. Uh, my 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 number ten uh, favorite film of the decade is a talking picture. A talking picture. Okay, what um, is that? It was made by uh, I'm gonna butcher his name. He's a Portuguese man named Manuel de Oliveira. Okay, uh, he was well into his 90s when he made this film in 2003. Okay, um, and uh, it's called a talking picture, which is a play on on words because that's kind of or not a play on words. I guess that's it is what it is. But it's it, it sort of plays with the. The, the notion that a movie is a talking picture. That's yes. what people refer to it as. But this, the emphasis is really on talking in this movie. Okay. It's, I mean, the movie. Sounds to me like I love it. Yeah, well, the movie is kind of a a travelogue. It's a woman and her daughter who were going from, I, I can't remember, from like Portugal to, I can't remember. They're going sort of down the coast to like say, I don't know, let's say Cairo mm-hmm. or something, you know. Uh, they're going, I don't know if that's down the coast. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, they're, they're they're taking a cruise ship. They're going the scenic way. They're going to meet her husband and the girl's father. You know, uh, <clears throat> and um, John Malkovich is the captain of the cruise ship. All right, uh, but they stop in these ports all, along the way. You know, mm-hmm. and in each port, in, in each port, they they get off the the uh, the woman and her daughter, and they walk around and they find people to talk to about history and culture, and it's just long conversations. Yeah, and then. Uh, at each port, uh, bef- when, once they get before when they get back on, some famous woman gets on, or okay. a woman who's famous in the world of the film. That you know, the, one one of them is played by Catherine Deneuve, uh, but uh, it, it's that's what that's what keeps happening. That's sort of the, there's like three stops, you know. They they get off, they talk, a famous woman gets on. Okay. They go to the next stop, same thing happens, and then after the third stop. Uh, she meets. She she finally sort of meets the captain at this point, John Malkovich, and he uh, meets her and thinks she's wonderful and thinks that that her daughter is wonderful and invites her to have dinner with him and these three famous women who all mm-hmm. speak different languages. And he speaks. He's obviously the American. And there's like a French woman and a, uh, a Brazilian woman or something, you know. Uh, and and uh, uh, the sort of centerpiece of the film is this just long conversation about whatever about art and love and all this great stuff that's happening in all these different languages, but they're all finding ways to make each other, to, to understand each other. Hmm. It's, it's a great, great movie. And then it has a, a really powerful ending that I don't want to give away, but, uh, it blows up. The ship blows up. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what happens, okay. but, uh, um, uh, I, th- I think, I think you should see it. I, I got it. I got the chance to see it, uh, projected, um, in 35 millimeter at the, uh, Billy Wilder museum about maybe a year ago with mm-hmm. friend of the show, Frank McGrath. Uh, and it was, it was wonderful. Is it, uh, is it available for somebody to, uh, to rent on uh, DVD or VHS? Uh, I think it should be given, I mean, a lot of Manuel de Oliveira's, I mean, he's, like I said, he's in, he was in the nineties and he's been making films for like, right decades and decades a lot of his films aren't available here but i think mm-hmm. this one i think the presence of john malkovich and Catherine Deneuve right, would make right. that make it available okay a talking picture it sounds really interesting to yeah me. all right my 10 you've seen all the movies on my list this is <laughs> this is such a waste of time um <laughs> i wish you'd stop all right uh my 10 is united 93 
Cool. Um, I, I think it's yeah. You know, obviously, it's one that really deals very directly with with I'd say what is. And I'm I'm not trying to be jingoistic when I say this, but I think that September 11th might have been might be the defining moment of this decade, quite possibly for the whole world. Uh-huh. Would you say that's fair? It's certainly, this country. But would you? Say, but yeah, I, I mean, when I, I say the whole world, I mean as a function of the way we reacted globally. Like it. it yeah, had, I mean, it just, despite everything. our our you know falling economy and the fact that we yeah. had eight years of a president who no one else respected, right? Uh, in the rest of the world, we're still uh, uh, America is still very powerful, and if something yeah. affects America that strongly it's going to ripple throughout the rest of the world. Okay. And, it, and it clearly has, you know, yeah. you can see, like you said, the, our foreign relations, the way that we just, the way that we conduct business with everyone else is in, is defined by the, by September 11th and the, and the resulting war on terror. Yeah. <laughs> could you, could you hear the contempt in his voice? <laughs> you could. Anti-American. <laughs> I'm being facetious when I say that, by the way, no, everybody. Um, United 93. Yeah. Uh, but it's not just the, uh, Everybody was asking whether or not it was too soon. And once the movie came out, nobody asked that anymore. Yeah, because, because it was good. Because it was good. It's never too soon to make a great movie, is, yeah. my, is my view. And, uh, and just the way in which it was made. Again, this is, this is like uh, Fog of War. It's not just the concept. There's a way to do a really bad uh, movie that deals with 9-11 world trade center for example i hear was really bad i, I didn't see, see it. it did you see the made for tv like flight 93 or whatever it's called no i didn't uh i heard it was actually not bad yeah i didn't see it but uh but i but the way that paul greengrass made united 93 with no big stars um and did in that kind of documentary style in which he wasn't really commenting on it he just was committed to showing the facts and not playing up the emotion of it because why you don't need to, you know, from what I hear, everything about world trade center just played it up in this hallmark hall of fame kind of way. Uh-huh. And it's like, you, you don't need to do that. All you need to do is kind of just show it to us. And of course doing it in kind of a verite documentary type style. That's a, that's a choice. Of course. Uh, yeah. I don't mean to say that he's doing it choiceless, but far from it. Not, not at all. But, uh, and just his his ability to deal with the material in a mature way, and let it, but also letting it speak for itself. It's it's a movie that is incredibly difficult to watch, but it's just so exhilarate, exhilarating in every in every possible way. I I, I think it's I, I do think it's it's one of the best best movies of the te- last ten years, David. Yeah, and it's uh, <clears throat> playing it the way he did. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't downplay the uh, the heroism. In fact, right. I would say it makes it more relatable and more yeah. powerful in that. You because know? you realize they're just it, regular people that did this. Yeah, but not in a way like, like oh, they're just regular people. Anybody could have done it. It's right. like, no, regular people rose yeah. to this occasion. Yeah. You know, that's what's so inspiring about it. You right. know, the perfect example is, you know, when he has to say, let's roll, you know, because, yeah. you know, obviously that's going to happen. That's yeah. that's coming. And it's not like, there's not like some sort of like big camera swoop with a push in on his face. And, right. Let's roll. You know, it's almost, it's almost buried. He's like, and he's like yeah. antsy. He's like, come on, let's roll. You know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's every, every chance. That's the, the thing that I've been saying about it for years. Every chance he had to make the wrong decision. And that's a good, that's a great example. Uh-huh. This is a line that was said. Yeah, a line. This was something that was said <laughs> right. in the actual moment, and so he's like, "Oh man, I can work with that." Now right. we're talking, but he chooses to just not necessarily throw it away. It's there, but not have it be a big 
let's roll, you uh-huh. know, or anything like that. And that's just it, it's a great example of how he just wanted to take this <laughs> a larger than life event right. that actually happened and just bring it down to the level where everybody where you can understand it and but, but imagine if the line had been played like George Clooney from Dust Till Dawn, you know, <laughs> and he's like, all right, vampire killers, let's kill some fucking vampires. Imagine if it was like George Clooney, like, let's roll. <laughs> It'd be neat if it was all, it was just a no-name cast and then George Clooney in the role of Todd Beamer. Um, all right, so that's my that's my number 10, and I, I imagine that most people listening to this have seen United 93, um, but maybe not. I know plenty of people who are just like, I can't watch that, man, that's really rough. And that's understandable, but I will say that if you if you think you can take it. that's that was, I was kind of scared to see it. Uh, and yeah. I'm, I'm glad I saw it in the theater. I'm glad yeah. I, uh, yeah, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did what it did. Yeah. All right, number number nine. Okay. And this is a movie you have seen. Okay. Touching the Void. Oh boy. It's, it, that's my documentary for for the uh, for the top ten. What a wonderful film. And it's funny you call it you call it a documentary, but so much of it is is reenacted. Is reenacted. Yeah. Um. And yet, at every turn, uh, manages to avoid being like a made for TV, you know thing that's chock full of reenactments you know like you yeah. see like on you know you can see this on on net geo or something <laughs> like that <laughs> by the way i like calling it net geo oh yeah i'd uh i will no i will not long i would no longer refer to sci-fi as sci-fi since they changed their spelling because it's an insult have we talked about this on the show no but why did they do that was it i because... think it's because they want to distance themselves from the science fiction sort of like label you know to to try and draw in to be to be more hip and try and try and draw in more people who aren't nerds. Well, fuck you! You are insulting us, the nerds who built your goddamn network. And so I will continue to refer to you as the science fiction network. Anyway, <laughs> that's of course if that's why they did it. It might be that uh, they just uh, the nerds weren't pronouncing it right. They're just like sky. No, I think nerds know how to say. Sci-fi. Yes, I know. I anyway. don't know why they changed it. It makes so little sense to me. Anyway, and. Another thing, we, it's the second time I've said made made for TV, and uh, we talked about the TV list at the beginning. But the one thing that I think we, uh, I want to mention real quick before we move on with the list, in talking about this last decade, this is sort of the decade when finally we can talk about television the same way we talk about movies. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a long been good television. Yeah, you know, but uh, if you watched, did you watch the Emmys this year? No, I didn't. Um, it, it just it really occurred to me there when see when seeing. Obviously, the shows like you know, like like your Madmans and and your Friday Night Lights and stuff like that. Yeah. But also like the miniseries, like Generation Kill and and Little Dorrit uh, yeah. and uh, all the all this great stuff. Like TV is just as just as fertile, and in some cases even more fertile uh, a ground than than the cinema is in in this decade. The twenty aughts were to television what nineteen ninety nine was. Film. Sure. <laughs> okay. So, um, touching the point. Anything you want to say? Uh, it's just, uh, uh, yeah. I, I can't. It's just so perfect. It's hard to to describe. But you're absolutely right. It could have fallen into that void uh-huh. of um, of just being cheesy because you know it's it's characters having to do really extreme things like they have to yell and scream. And I, I mean, if you watch any kind of reenactment on TV, you're just like. How do they think this is okay? Yeah. I mean, the rest of it's fine, but they they really dropped the ball on this. Did they throw it to like a third AD or something like that? <laughs> and it's just but with this, I mean, it's the kind of thing where where if 
if you had taken out the documentary element of it and just had it be that, I feel like it could have, it you know, it could have been campaigned for like acting Oscars because those performances <laughs> are solid and just, and you really feel. I mean, I think there is on the DVD. I've I've never watched it, but I mean, there could be a documentary documentary made about the reena- about shooting the reenactment because it's so right. it's so authentic. Yeah, but what they do. The 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 trap that um that bad reenactments fall into is especially in something like this when a person's in a perilous position where you obviously you can't put the actors in that much danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the problem with a lot of reenactments is you can see the sort of safety around it. You yeah. can see that it's like on a soundstage or just right. on a, like a ten foot like you know yeah. hill or something. You know, and he. I mean, you mentioned the acting, but it's also the the cinematography, the way that, oh, yeah. that Kevin McDonald and his cinematographer shoot around that. You know, to make the reenactments seem really authentic and really, yeah. really perilous. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a wonderful. If I recall correctly, wasn't it? Didn't it like not qualify to be nominated for a because of the year? reenactments? Is that what it was? I think that's right. I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't, I don't quite remember, sure. but it's. I think it was probably the best documentary of that year. Yeah. Um, well, according was, to my list, it's the best documentary of the past ten oh years. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, but uh yeah it's 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 a wonderful film. My number 9 is Munich. Oh, good. Um it's just uh you know it's a proven director doing something that was just so personal to him and then and dressing it up like a thriller so that people will come see it. I'm a big fan of movies that promise one thing and then give another. You know that <laughs> are disingenuous. Yeah. So um but you know, uh, it's it's not on my list, oddly enough. But like a history of violence was was like that to me. Where um, I'm surprised that's not on your list. Well, it's uh, number one on my favorites. Oh. But uh, <laughs> see, that's how objective I'm being, everybody. Right. Um, but it's uh, you know where where it it says, oh, look at all this action. Look at this. Look at the suspense. Look at the thrills. And hey, it's Spielberg. He can do. He kind of can do whatever he wants at this point. And this was the film that he chose to make. One that is dressed up like a mainstream film, but underneath has like really questions. I'd say maybe more than, than any other film. This one really questions just the climate of, of the time in which it was made. Um, by and you know, brilliantly, uh, did so by bringing up something from 30 years ago. And, and that to me, uh, again, I think, that I think that is going to be one of the big through lines is just the concept is just so ballsy. Uh-huh. I feel like this was a good decade for just ballsy films and filmmakers who just felt like, ah, you know what? I, I'm not going to just sit back and do, do nothing. I want to actually question what's going on. And, and Munich absolutely uh, is that. And, uh, and what's, what's amazing is that in the midst of all that, he also happens to make a really solid thriller. You know, yeah. it's, it's you're on the edge of your seat the whole time uh, as if this were, you know, uh, and I know that a lot of it's been fictionalized, but as if this were just uh, not true at all, you know. Um, so it's just and that's that's, you know, we've said it before, but uh, that's one of the great things about Spielberg is he when he's on his, you know, when he's on his game, there's nobody better. Um and I just really respect any director who can do whatever he wants and chooses to do something that's going to be very challenging. So Munich is is my number nine. I I 
I'm almost ashamed of myself that I didn't even consider it for my top 30, oh, my. given that it is, as I've stated many times, my favorite Steven Spielberg film. Yeah. Uh, okay, number eight for me, which I know you haven't seen, and I'm not sure if you'd like, Tyler. All right. It could go either way. It's a film called Goodbye Dragon Inn. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of people didn't care for that, right? Like, there were some... It got kind of mixed reviews. Like, some really great and some not so. Well, I guess it could be... I mean, <clears throat> there's there's probably about 12 lines of dialogue in the whole movie. <laughs> um, and every shot in the movie... The camera never moves in the movie. Yeah. And every shot is probably at least 30 seconds long. Right. And many of them are far longer than that. Okay. Well, that, that, that in itself does not bother me. I like that kind of thing. Okay. and But uh, this sort of like Los Angeles plays itself, Goodbye Dragon Inn is... Uh, a movie that's just meant to speak to people like you and me because mm-hmm. it's about a cinema, you know. Yeah. It's a, it's basically it's this this uh, it's a Taiwanese film and there's this this theater, this old theater. It's its last last night. It's going to close, and the last film it's showing is this old uh, kung fu film called Dragon Inn. Yeah, and there's only there's just a handful of people there to see the movie, you know, and there's uh, you know, there there's a guy who's just there to sort of hustle for gay sex. There's okay. uh the the owner is trying to is, you know, made like a steam bun or steam dumpling for the projectionist and right. it's just sort of there there are these stories that run throughout, you know, but uh it never loses the feel of, you know, the the the, the thing that ties these people together is is that particular theater. Yeah. You know? And uh and, and and you see very little of the film going on. There's there's only a couple of even references to film. Yeah. You know. Uh but it's it it's you never you're, you never forget that that's the reason that this movie exists yeah. is because of a love of a dedication to to cinema and its history. And and that and that's I think why it uh why it appealed so greatly to me and why it deserves to be on on the list of uh, of anyone who who truly truly loves film. Yeah. Well, that sounds wonderful me, to me, David. Okay. I don't understand why you have such a low opinion of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds great. Goodbye, Dragon Inn. All right, uh, so we're at number eight, right? Yeah, we're okay. number eight. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, good. I know. <laughs> no English in the whole thing. So much fun. Actually, there might be. Um, <laughs> but uh, that one is just, I mean, Guillermo del Toro, I think, is is probably one of the I think he's a good example of a director who's really come into his own uh, in the last in the last ten years, um, uh-huh. and uh, his star is on the rise, David. Um, but the <laughs> that's not true. He's he's he's, he's already there. But um, Pan's Labyrinth is just it's such a beautiful blend of what he uh, of what he does. Just create just such such imaginative uh, imaginative and, and beautiful worlds, and then shows us an, an intensely dark story like he doesn't shy away from uh darker elements of fantasy you know uh-huh. um which is why I, th- I feel like rather than have tim burton do alice in wonderland which of course is it, it's such a it's such a non-surprise it's almost uh-huh. just like hey look we all know this is going to happen sooner or later so why don't we just do it now like that's that to me was the the whole vibe behind tim burton directing alice in wonderland like get someone like Guillermo del Toro like he will I mean that's a, that can be a really dark and frightening story uh-huh. and and he would be the one to do it but at the same time he kind of already did it with Pan's Labyrinth you know yeah. 
uh, where we have a you know a, a young girl just trying to escape a very terrible reality uh, into fantasy. But of course, fantasy is not so safe itself, and maybe it's real, maybe it's not. You never know. Uh, at the end, it kind of gives the impression that it's purely her imagination or or something like that. But but that's that's the second to last shot. The very last shot is this beautiful. Um, you know, this beautiful, not necessarily a wink at the audience, but just saying, well, maybe it's not what you thought it was. You know, uh-huh. maybe, maybe there's more to it. And it's just, and it's just so, just so beautifully realized in every, in every way. Um, and I think it was, you know, probably, I don't know. It's just, it's one that that year I thought was really, really great, but it like, it didn't make my top 10 of that year. Uh, but upon reflection, I, I really, it's one that I think is just so, just so original. It's, it's interesting you bring that up because in making my list, my, my first thought was, well, should I just grab my favorite from each year? And I found that I have plenty of stuff in my list that isn't even in my top ten for the yeah. year it came out. Yeah. But it's grown in my estimation yeah. so much since then, you know. Uh, but, um, yeah, Pan's Labyrinth is, uh, like like Watchmen, it's a movie that maybe should have had the, the, the letter R really big on the poster <laughs> because uh, apparently a lot of people didn't realize that that pan's labyrinth was not a movie for children oh my yeah. <laughs> my is it not a movie for children <laughs> uh uh but but what, what gilmer del toro does in that movie um is it, he, he he bucks one of the more unfortunate trends of the past 10 10 years yeah. which is movies in which the visual effects are the movie yeah you know and he made some movie with with a lot of both visual effects and you know practical effects and makeup and you know that kind of stuff uh but it's it's still a film first you can feel the artisanship you know what i mean oh, yeah and that's 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 one thing that's often missing from visual effects not yeah. when they're done right yeah. you know you know when when you've got a when you've got a peter jackson behind the wheel right. you know you're gonna have stunning visual effects that also feel uh uh, yeah, artisanal. I'm gonna stick with that word artisan because that really does. Okay. You you can you can feel them being made by someone who cares right. about how they're used and what they represent. You know, and 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 that's what uh, is so great about Penn's Labyrinth and Guillermo del Toro and del Toro in general is he makes. You know, if you watch Blade Two, that movie has all kinds of effects yeah. in it, but it's the. The, the 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 film comes first and the filmmaking yeah. comes first is really what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And the same with the uh, both Hellboy movies. I mean yeah. he's just yeah, he he's every it's gonna sound kinda weird and kinda grand. He's everything a filmmaker should be. Uh-huh. Um and I th- I think that might go for most of the people that I wind up mentioning on, on the list. But uh, but we gotta move on. Go ahead. Yeah, n- number seven, uh you yeah. mentioned it earlier. It's spirited away. Woo <laughs> And it's it's my one animated uh entrance yeah. uh into this and it's um, it's my favorite. It's probably my favorite Miyazaki film. Yeah, with my neighbor Totoro being a, a close second. Yeah, but uh, um, and it's and it is kind of it does seem kind of strange that this is the one that made the biggest impact here. Yeah, because um, it's an animated film as all his films are. Yeah, you know, uh, and it's. I don't know. I feel like it kind of could go hand in hand with the recent where the wild things are, and okay. that it's a movie that very much, uh, rec- you know, recalls and evokes childhood. Yeah. You know, but you have to wonder if it's necessarily for children. You know, yeah. Whereas Miyazaki, he's made films like the aforementioned My Neighbor Totoro that is 
that clearly films made for children. Right. You know, I mean, they, they could be appreciated by adults yeah. because they're, you know, great art. But Spirited Away is one that it's it's like the later Pixar films, you know, like Ratatouille yeah. and, and, and Up, I'm told. I still haven't seen Up. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, but um, uh, in which it's almost like, you know, you, you hear about, uh, you know, oh, you know, The Iron Giant is a kid's movie that adults can enjoy, yeah. you know. <laughs> uh, up or Ratatouille and Spirited Away are almost like adult movies that kids can enjoy. Oh yeah, you know, uh, I mean, there's some, there's some really, uh, you know, dense sort of psychological stuff going on in yeah. in Spirited Away. You know, and it's it's told through fantasy. Much it's, it's very it's more similar to Pan's Labyrinth than I had yeah. ever thought of before. But uh, you know, that's what you get by juxtaposing these movies. That's why we do this. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, because it's also a girl. She. Uh, it's a young girl who doesn't like her situation because mm-hmm. uh, she doesn't want to move to the country. Right. Uh, and they, her, her parents stop at this place. She gets out and sudden uh, the car and goes into this like abandoned theme park. Is, yeah, is that right? Yeah, something like that, yeah. I seen it so long. But, um, and then enters a crazy, crazy fantasy world. Yeah. Just insane. And what I like about it is that it does seem to be a fantasy world that stems very much from... Uh, I believe the the girl's name is uh, Chihiro. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it stems very much from her imagination in the in a way that that really understands a child's imagination. Like new rules come up very unexpectedly. Uh, all of a sudden, oh, uh, I, my circumstances have changed quite drastically. Uh, even within this fantasy world, like it, it seems to it seems to have the this is going to sound uh, insulting, and I don't mean for it to. It almost has the attention span of a child uh-huh. where I'm doing this, but all of a sudden now I'm doing this. Oh, my gosh, this fantasy world is insane. Um, and it just – I feel like that one, yeah, um, perhaps more than – you know, as as you and I have talked about uh, off-air with uh, where the wild things are, that one I think is uh, an, uh, a movie for adults that children – yeah, I guess – <laughs> like that that seems to me the But Spirit Away has more uh eye candy than Where the Wild Things are. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I think Spirited Away actually can very much uh be for, for children, you know, maybe no younger than like eight or nine. Uh-huh. But uh but I think it absolutely can uh be for children and I think it might be the kind of thing where children may actually have a completely different appreciation for it uh than an adult, uh much in the way of, you know, Alice in Wonderland and, and stuff like that. So um so yeah, that one I think is is a nice blend in that it, it's it's for both. Yeah, uh, but it's just so gorgeous. It, it yeah, and w- one of the things that is always strange to me about Miyazaki and other sort of masters of of animation, particularly like uh, Asian animation, mm-hmm. like uh, I can't remember the name of the guy who made Perfect Blue and Millennium Actress and and Paprika, which I didn't see. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, animation is so. It, it, so much has to go into every frame of it, yeah. you know, that you almost feel like you have to approach an animated movie the way that Hitchcock would. It has yeah. to be like just so, and, and it's true. It has to be completely planned out, yeah. you know, uh, before you really start, yeah. you know, uh, and, and, and there are plenty of good animated. I think the Incredibles is probably something that's like that, that, yeah. that is clearly meticulously made. Yeah. And ends up perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. But what what amazes me about Miyazaki and, and other guys like him is how sort of like uh, flowy and spontaneous his films seem. Yeah, 
You know, yeah. he has to have he has to have the mind of a child and the mind of a, an adult yeah. uh, working in concert, and that's uh, it's it's a rare talent. You and don't, a very you don't see organized a whole lot of adult. Yeah, that. yeah. So um, what's your what's your number seven? My number seven, David. I think you might uh, be mad at me for this one. Okay, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, well, I'm not mad, but okay. <laughs> I don't care. Although it's, I do want to see Fantastic Mr. Fox. I do decided. Too. I didn't like the trailer. It, I thought I thought it. It looked the trailer looked really bad. Yeah. To um, me. But uh, from what I'm reading about it, I think I want to see it. Yeah. I think maybe this might be where he belongs in stop motion animation and where he can rolled doll. There's no question, right? About that. Where, where he can, where he can, uh, you know, uh, sate his lust for minutia. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, as a you know, as a matter of necessity, he has to. Right. He has to be obsessively uh, <laughs> obsessed with every tiny little detail. Yeah. In order to make the film, and that's where he belongs. Because it's just distracting in his other films. Go on <laughs> talking about the Royal Tenenbaums. So you're saying that he sh- he'd be a better script supervisor than a director. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, Royal Tenenbaums. Um, I feel like that is, is by far his best film. Um, it's my favorite. Of yeah, it's, films. And, and, and mine as well. Um, a lot of people like uh, Rushmore, and I like Rushmore, uh, certainly. But uh, but Royal Tenenbaums, I think, is, is you know, you mentioned his... his uh, what was it? Penchant for minutia. I think I said whatever. lust for minutia. Lust for minutia. <laughs> um, I think this one, it se- it makes sense the most because it seems to actually, the characters themselves seem to be uh, like that as well. They don't necessarily uh, love minutia, but they're you know many of them are geniuses or at least have been told they're geniuses. Uh-huh. And so when you grow up being told a certain thing, and so and you're rich. Uh, then I feel like a certain eccentricity is to be expected, and so the way the characters act, the way the the world in which they live seems to actually come out of the characters' personalities, and I think that's that's uh, and the characters' personalities I think are fairly organic and not quite as affected as in some of his other films, but um, and but what's neat is that. In the midst of all this, I mean, because there's a lot, there's always a lot of like artifice in Wes Anderson films, uh, good or bad. You can, you, uh-huh. I think that's whether you like his stuff or not. I think you have to say that there's this this nice sheen. Uh, but in this film, perhaps more than others, except maybe Darjeeling Limited, underneath all the relationships, they are just as raw as you know a Mike Lee film or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, and that's why I like it is because it looks really pretty. But underneath, there's nothing pretty going on. It's all very um, disorganized, and I think it's by far his most human film. Um, and uh, and that's why that's why I like it is he just really uh, he just really I think I think that's his peak um, because it still manages to be funny as well. Yeah. Um. It just it it tackles a lot of different aspects, and and I think it it nails all of them. I, I think the reason that I like it the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, or or dislike it the least, however you want to say. You best <laughs> has to do with it's the first one that he was able to to cast people who were sort of sort of outside of his, his control. Yeah. You know, I mean, he had Bill Murray and Rushmore, and Bill Murray's right. definitely the best part of Rushmore. But it's still, uh, you know, people like the Wilson brothers and Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, they're they're good, but they're I think they're probably too close to him. Yeah, you know, and he can and and he can bend them to his will. You right. know. It's, I, I'm sounding like I'm just insulting him more, but I think the the reason that I like Royal Tenenbaum is the most is because Gene Hackman, Angelica Houston, Danny Glover, yeah. these people have been at it a lot longer, 
than he has and are able they're they're able to breathe they're able to bring their own thing to the movie it it, it yeah. doesn't feel so hermetically yeah, sealed it really i mean uh it's odd that you that you put it that way because uh when i when i think of gene hackman in that film uh particularly gene hackman i think like what a breath of fresh air like uh-huh. uh cuz i do like what owen wilson does with uh with wes anderson and i like jason schwartzman in rushmore quite a bit um but at the same time, they they seem to have the same sensibilities, is what I would say, uh, as he does. Like just, uh, the, just the way the way in which they say lines, the way in which they approach characters, seem to be very much. Uh, they seem to be kind of kindred spirits with Wes Anderson, which is why it can work so well. Gene Hackman brings, as you say, like decades worth of experience and various kinds of experience. Uh, there, there's no there's no reason he should have been. Royal Tenenbaum. I mean, uh-huh. it, it it could have been so many other type, uh, you know, uh, so many different types of actors. Like, I, it seems to me it would have been more, uh, you know, less risky for him to go with somebody like a John Malkovich uh-huh. or like a Willem Dafoe or something. Although he's a little young for that part, but just somebody who is who's who can kind of affect things the way Wes Anderson likes them to be. Yeah. Um, but well, what do you what do you mean by Willem Dafoe? I don't I don't think it I'm not saying that. that he is that way. But he can be that way. Well, name an example. Um, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Oh, that's right. He was in that. Yeah. Oh, that movie was terrible. Um, and but he's also, in, and he's in Boondock Saints. That's, that's right. Also, he is also terrible. Um, and and he's just he's somebody who can who can deliver really. He, he's a wonderful actor, I think, Willem Dafoe. But he's just he's very. Uh, he can be quirky. Is what he you're can saying. be very yeah. quirky. Hey, look um, at it. Okay, you named I'm gonna name a couple of films I don't like, but look at him in American Psycho. That's a yeah. perfect example. He's yeah. very he's very sort of quirky and funny yeah. in that, yeah. but it's a great performance. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, but just <clears throat> that was my top thirty, by the way, American Psycho. Oh yeah, that's two that's two thousand, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. So, um, but his casting of Gene Hackman, it to me it it, it represented like a big step forward, one that he has unfortunately not continued. But um, it was just it was such a such a nice idea for him to cast somebody that honestly the way you put it somebody who i think won't be as won't be controlled as easily and one that i think wes anderson would probably have had to work a little harder uh to relate to um and and you wind up with a much better film for it yeah and a wonderful performance. Uh, well, performance is all around, but Gene Hackman really. I love uh, the fact that uh, I'm sure you've heard this story that that when Wes Anderson came to Gene Hackman was like, "I'm writing something with you in mind," and Gene Hackman was like, "Well, don't do that. I'm not. Yeah. Gonna, I'm not going to do it yeah. if you just write it for me." And so he like put that barrier up, yeah. and then you know, knowing that he approaching the script apart from that, then yeah. he decided to do it. Like I, I think that's very telling of both why Gene Hackman is awesome yeah. and why the movie ended up working because yeah. he didn't just say he didn't just do it though. I'm sure he didn't play the part exactly the way that Wes Anderson thought he was going to play it when he wrote it for right. him. And he made that clear by saying, I'm not going to do this. That Hackman's a wild card. Yeah. But he literally, uh, if you heard that, you heard that story before that Gene no, Hackman I don't think I literally have. told Wes, Wes Anderson, he wasn't going to do the movie before he did the script because Wes Anderson told him that he'd written it for him. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. There's just a general kind of fuck you attitude to yeah. that. Um, but, um, uh, okay, so we're at number six. Are you number looking six. at my list here? No, I haven't. I, 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 I caught you kept taking a glance at my list. Your handwriting upside down? <laughs> okay. I have a hard time right. reading it as is. All right, well, my, my number six, uh, which is my last one for this episode, yeah. uh, is 
um, another Korean film. Right. <laughs> uh, spring, summer, fall, winter, and spring. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, which is um, I felt I, I knew I wanted to put a Kim Ki Duck film on here, and mm-hmm. that and I didn't really hesitate to put that one. You yeah. know, which is weird because if you look at like um, uh, like Bad Guy or The Isle. It's I S L E, okay. not like an aisle in a store, yeah, or, or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a low ambition film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring is not like his other movies. It has elements of them, yeah. you know. But he's he it, it, as 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 quiet and beautiful as the aisle is. It also fits into that whole like Asia extreme thing, you yeah. know, because it has like it has a guy swallowing a fish hook and then pulling it back up. Oh good God. <laughs> It has that kind of stuff in it. <laughs> Why does he do that? <laughs> you have to see the movie. No, I don't think I do. <laughs> but Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, Spring is actually... Uh, you you can feel that sort of sensibility at work, mm-hmm. but it it's a very peaceful, uh, quiet film. And it's a film about a monk, so that makes sense. All right, yeah. Uh, and Now, you haven't seen it, right? No, I haven't. Okay, well, you'd like it. I th- I'm, I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure you'd like it. I don't like know, it. man. That fish hook thing seems oh, no, that's, pretty that's rough. That's the aisle. Oh, that's the aisle. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I'll see this. No, one. that's what I'm saying. Is this one's different because it doesn't have that kind of stuff in. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Um, it does have a woman falling through a hole in the ice and drowning, which is a pretty disturbing yeah. thing that happens. But um, I can deal with that though. Yeah. Okay. But uh, the again, like the, like I said, the film is called Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, Spring. Right. And um, it's the story of one man's life. And mm-hmm. is told in five chapters: spring, summer, fall, winter, spring. Right. But of course, they're not all in the same year. You see him as a boy, then adolescent, then sort of uh, adult, then like middle aged, and then elderly. You okay. know, in 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 those in those seasons. Yeah. You know, you see him grow up a, a, and and be a monk. And uh, it's it's really it's not until like the third, I think, uh, um, chapter that you even realize what year it is because. It could be it could be made yeah. now. It could be three hundred years ago because it's just this guy is a monk. But it's not right. until you see like a contemporary person and her son who are like walking through the forest uh, that you realize, oh, this movie takes place like now ish. Oh wow, <laughs> um, it's like uh, the village, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't want to like clearly. There's not a lot of plot in the yeah. movie, you know. So I don't really know what else to say about it uh, uh, other than that. Um, it's not what you think it is, okay. you know. It's yes, it's a very peaceful, quiet, still, you know, Asian movie. Yeah, uh, like that kind of Asian movie you're thinking of Ozu or something like that. Yeah. You know, um, but it's also made by a guy who made a movie where a guy swallows a fish hook and pulls yeah. it back up. <laughs> that, that's that it, you can still tell it's made by the same guy, even though nothing like that really happens in the movie. Yeah. And and that's why it's. That's why I find the movie so magnetic. I'm so, I'm so drawn to it. Okay. Uh, so spring, summer, fall, winter, spring. Spring, summer, fall, winter, and spring. And spring. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. That sounds uh, that sounds great. I lo- I, I'm a big fan, as you know, of kind of slower, more Which is why I films. think you need to be watching more Asian movies. I guess I do. I guess I do. Um, my number six, David, I'm trying to think outside the box here. Okay. All right. Hold on. Is it Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters? No. As you know, <laughs> I never made it to that film because I went, I went, I turned right when I meant to turn left and I was already late. Um, no, it's, uh, so you're talking about uh, rethinking things. So uh-huh. uh, my number six is a movie from this year. Okay. 
And uh, I think it will very much stand the test of time, which is Inglorious Bastards. I'm surprised. Yeah. It didn't even make my top 30. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> there's, a l- there's a lot of subtitles in that movie. I'll I take what I can get. I don't have anything from this year, actually. Really? Okay, yeah. It's, it's something I don't do. Uh, like, I was reluctant to put anything from this year or last year, but I actually have uh, two from, uh, one from both. I got one from last um, year. Yeah, we'll get into it next time. All right, episode. then. I got one from last um, year. <laughs> And I'm sure it's one that I've never heard of. You've heard of it. Yeah. Okay. Seen it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but Inglorious Bastards, uh, my, you know, I, of course, I have some some basic, uh, you know, some basic uh, objections to some of its attitude. But at the same time, there is, n- I can't stop thinking about it. Uh-huh. it. There is, it is just such a, it's so much fun. But it's so uncompromisingly violent. Uh-huh. But I, I I often forget having seen you know ha- having seen Grindhouse and not liking it. Um, I, I sometimes forget how amazing Quentin Tarantino is at creating several strong characters in a film. And I mean, just the I mean, it's such an interesting tale of revenge, but not the tale of revenge that it was touted as. You thought it was going to be about the bastards. And it's not. Yeah. Uh, well, let's let's try and still clear right, right. any major spoilers. Yeah. I mean, might... Still fairly new. Yeah. Um, but you know, Christoph Wall. I mean, it just he's so <laughs> Tarantino is so great at writing villains and just finding the the absolute right person for each role. And it's just it, well, you say you know how many characters, but literally in a Quentin Tarantino film, there's not a single character that isn't interesting. Yeah. You know, if you like, look at uh, uh. Um, the I can't remember his name. The soldier in the tavern, Wilhelm, the new father. Oh yeah, yeah. They just had a, a boy named Max. Yeah, you know, he's not in that movie very long, right? And uh, you know, doesn't really bring much to it, yeah. plot wise. Yeah, but that's a a great character. It is, and it's just such a, it's just such a, uh, it's what what ama- amazes me. Tarantino at his best is unabashedly Hollywood. And yet, could not be further from it. <laughs> I don't know how they, how he manages to do it. Just his movies are so inherently watchable, and this one, and he just, of course, on his best day, his dialogue cannot be beat. And I uh-huh. think this is a great example. Well, that's the uh, first, the first scene. I mean, uh, and the and the tavern scene. Well, the tavern scene, and like I said, Glorious Passage isn't anywhere near my list. Yeah. But this scene in the tavern might be one of the best scenes to happen in the last ten years. And I think that I think that uh, the opening scene uh-huh. is. I, re- I remember reading that uh, a lot of people had had trouble. They, they thought that scenes the scenes went on a little too long, and I was like, "But if it's suspenseful, there is no such thing as too long." <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And it's just and yeah. If creates, you can hold that note, hold yeah. it as long as you can. Yeah, absolutely, you and know? he does. And yeah. it's just and it's so amazing. Uh, his just his films, and especially this one, they just. They have so much more life than than any other film. You know, I mean, uh, uh, 2012 came out this weekend, and it's a movie of a lot of huge events. And the entire world... Did is you coming see it? To, no. Oh, okay. But the entire world is coming to an end. And based on what I've seen of other Roland Emmerich films, uh, and disregarding the three and a half stars that Ebert gave it, um, it's just, it feels like... You know the, that tavern scene, which is which only affects a few characters, and the opening scene, which only affects well, I guess it affects a few uh, a few characters that we don't see, but it only involves two. Right. Those have more life and more and more. This is going to sound weird. Joy 
at least from a creative standpoint, yeah. than than the two and a half hour uh, blockbusters that have come out like this this year. And it's just, I'm not referring to Harry Potter, by the way. I'm referring to Transformers and 2012. I haven't seen either ones, uh, either one. I apologize. Uh, it's based entirely on uh, reviews. But um, <laughs> Harry Potter was good, though. Harry Potter was very good, yes. And so it's just, his films are just so, they're just such a, ju- again, at his worst, I cannot stand him. But at his best, there's nowhere else I'd rather be. And the more I think about Inglorious Bastards, the more, uh, the more I love it. And I really think it's one that that those who haven't seen it, they're going to find it, and it's going to be talked about for years. Um, so that's that's my number six. I, I thought I'd I thought I'd throw that out there and surprise you. Oh, you did surprise me. So. I also think that I mean, Quentin Tarantino is funny. Yeah, I think Inglorious Bastards is probably his funniest film as well. Oh yeah. And what's amazing is that first scene, as as suspenseful as it is, and and, yeah. and the awful things that happen in it. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's so pipe, funny. That pipe comes out. I dare you not <laughs> but to laugh out loud. Also, I like him saying in eloquent and perfect French about how he's exhausted his French. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and wants to switch to English. It seems to me that that's the first sentence that you uh, that you learn when you in another language. Um, all right. Uh, so uh, that that's uh, – well, th- thanks for listening to our, our 10 through 6 yeah. of, uh, of, of 2009. I mean, yeah. of, of, the, of the aughts, rather. That's right. Uh, and uh, because we didn't do uh, uh, an official episode last week, you don't have to wait a week for our five through one. That's right. It's right around the corner. That's right. You might have accidentally listened to it first. That's entirely possible. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so so yeah, tune in. I think we'll be putting these up on the same day, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, just head on over to episode one thirty nine. Yeah. Oh jeez, we got to come up with a profile episode. Yeah, um, we do. <laughs> so head on over to 139 and uh and we'll catch you right over there. Bye. Bye. Bye.